Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, page 305 in the Black Pew Bible. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And David said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to the shepherd, my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes and sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Second Samuel chapter 7. You know that song, Our Sins Are Many. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? My sins are many, but His mercy is more. And, and for, sometimes we know that our sins are many, right? Sometimes we don't see it. It's not as clear. The Lord has to show that our sin to us. But we have to have both of those where we see our sin, but we also have to experience His mercy together, right? Because you see that your sins are many, but you're not experiencing the mercy of God. That's a bad place to be. Right? But I'm, I'm thankful that even though my sins are many, His mercy is, is more. What a great song. Second Samuel chapter 7, if you're visiting with us, you haven't been here in a little bit. We are working our way through First and Second Samuel, originally one book. And we have seen Israel's choice of a king, someone who was head and shoulders above everyone else. They wanted a king like the nations, the pagan nations. But that king, King Saul, had been an utter failure. He has been rejected by God. He has been killed in battle, removed from office, if you will, by the Lord. And David has been blessed immensely. The kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of David has now been unified. Abner has defected to David's side, and Ishbosheth, the final son of Saul, has, has died. And now there's only one nation. The city of Jerusalem was conquered by David, now called the city of David. 
And the ark, the ark of the covenant, has finally returned and now dwelling in Jerusalem in a in a tent. It has, it has as it has been uh, in years past. We see God's blessing on David, blessed him immensely. But we also see God's judgment, don't we? Last week we saw Uzzah. He treated the ark of the covenant too casually, and he touched the ark. He was moving the ark on a cart, and Opposition to the Lord's law. He was supposed to carry it with poles, right? On the shoulder. And so as he touched the ark, life left his body. Michael, as the ark is being brought into Jerusalem, we see her not participating. Everyone's worshiping. And what does she have? She has a kind of a sneer on her face and she thinks David is not conducting himself like a king should, right? She's worshiping from a distance. She's not worshiping at all, right? She's observing from a distance. She's not participating in the worship. Everyone else is worshiping. They're celebrating. They're so excited. They're so glad. The Ark of the Covenant, which is, is, is a symbol of the manifest presence of God, is coming to the city of David. Everyone's excited except for Michael. And the, the Scriptures tell us that Michael did not have a child to the day of her death. So what is that picture of? The picture of judgment upon her. So we see God's blessing on David, but we also see his, his righteous judgment as well. So we begin chapter 7 with an introduction to Nathan as, as Morgan read the Scriptures for us. This is the first time we see Nathan the prophet, but it won't be the last. So we'll come back to him later. But three things we want to point out in the, the Scripture today, and there's so much that we could go into. And... Um, we're going, to have a, we're going to leave a lot of meat on the bones for Chris and uh, Rodney and Blake to be able to lead their small groups in next week. We won't cover all the things that we can cover today, but I do want to hit a, a couple things. For, firstly, because God has been gracious to us, we should attempt great things for, for Him. And we've seen how good God has been to David. He's the king. We even saw last week the king of Tyre sending building materials to David. Once he heard that David had conquered Jerusalem, he sent building materials for David to build a house for himself. And David's giving victory after victory after victory. And I don't want you to miss this. David won every victory, but it wasn't because of David. It wasn't because he was a mighty general. It wasn't because he was a great tactician on the battlefield. No, David was victorious every, in every battle because God was with him. We don't need to misunderstand what God is teaching us through the book of First and Second Samuel. David is the undisputed champion of the world. God has given him so many victories, but it's, it's not because David is good. It's because God is good and gracious to David. And in response to, to God's goodness, what does David want to do? He wants to do something great for God. The Lord has given him rest from his enemies. So David has settled in Jerusalem. Things have come together and... and he doesn't, have to go to, he doesn't have to go to battle, so he's got a lot more time on his hands. right? You would like more time on your hands, wouldn't you? Everybody's so busy. But what, what he has is, is time and energy to put forward towards other enterprises. So what does he do? He wants to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. He's got a, a nice home provided for him by the king of Tyre, and now he looks at the the Ark of the Covenant, and it's in a tent, and he has this ambition. He wants to, to build the Lord a house. And it's a noble thing he wanted to do. And what was Nathan the prophet's response? He says, sounds good. 
Sounds like a good idea. You ought to do it. There's a lesson for us in this first three verses, I think. Because God has been so gracious to us, we too should attempt great things for God. I mean, that's how the gospel works in our lives, isn't it? I mean, God has done this marvelous thing in sending His Son, Jesus, to make atonement for our sin. So as a response to that goodness, what do we want to do? We want to yield to Him, don't we? We want to repent and we want to trust Christ and we want to yield and submit to His authority. We think about the Scriptures. We love God because He, what? First loved us. Yeah, and the Scripture says that His kindness is what leads us to what? Repentance. See, so what the Lord has done for us, what do we, we respond by yielding ourselves to Him. He's done great things to, for us. He's been so gracious to us. So our response should be, we should attempt great things for God. Now notice I didn't say we should do great things for God. We should attempt great things for God. Think about how good God's been to us. I mean, we can all stand up and give testimony today of how good God's been to us. Miss Lou's here today. She feels good. She's here and feels well enough to come to church. That's not true every day, is it, Miss Lou? So that's something to be thankful for. Some of you here, I'm looking, and you've got a pew for you, your family, right? And some of you, your spouse is here. Some of you, your, um, your children are here with you. You have a lot of things to be thankful for. Some of you, we took up the offering and you were able to give because of God's provision for you. You know, we have many blessings. God has poured out good gift upon good gift to us, upon us, so we should attempt great things for Him. We want to do great things for the Lord, for those who know Him. But we also have to remember that God is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He is not needy of us. He doesn't need us. And that's the second point. Verses 4-7, through seven, God reminds David who is taking care of whom. And we say we want to do great things for God. Sometimes, Riley, we get this, get this idea. Sometimes we think that God really needs us. I mean, Zach, what would God do without us? He has to have us, right? Yeah. In verses 1 through 3, David's referred to as the king. It's, uh, and it's, I think this is significant. But in the rest of the chapter, from verses 4 onward, he's referred to as God's servant. He's the king, but here we see him being called God's servant. Yeah, that's what he is. That's what he was, the servant of the Lord. David had good motives, didn't he? He had a nice house, and the ark was in a tent, for goodness sakes. It's honorable. It's noble of him. It's even a righteous act, I think. He wants to provide this, this place for the ark. But just because... David had pure motives. That doesn't mean it's God's will, right? In fact, it wasn't God's will for David to build the house. David is God's servant, but God is not dependent on David. He doesn't need David. In fact, the, verse 4 through 17, God uses the, that personal pronoun I 19 times. This is what God's going to do. David says, but God, I want to build you a house. God says, David, that's not for you to do. You want to build a house for me, but you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to build a house for you. 
that evening God showed Nathan that David's building plans for God would interfere with God's building plans for David. The Lord tells Nathan, return to David and tell him that he's not to build a house for me after all. And, and some would say that David's his motives were tainted, but that's not God's perception at all. And in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 18, David was wrong. He shouldn't have wanted to build a, a, a temple. No, that was something God thought was pleasing to him. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. No, it's great. He wanted to do great things for God. It's a good thing. But he wasn't able to do those things. That wasn't God's will. A.W. Pink says, sincere intentions to do good are approved by God even though His providences do not permit the execution of them. You ever want to do something great for the Lord? You ever, you ever want to do something awesome? Let me tell you a story. Um, we were overseas, and we were trying to learn the culture and uh, learn the language, and we're living in this third world city, and we just want to love people. And so we just had this idea. We're just trying to come up with any and every idea and way to, to love people and share the gospel because we, we didn't know any believers there. And so we would meet people and befriend them, and we'd just invite them to our house. And we had one night a week um, at least where we, we called it outreach night. At least one night a week we had lost people in our home and with the intention of loving on them, just spending time with them and pouring our life into them and, and with, with the hopes of being able to share the gospel with them. And so what Jeannie and I would do is we would cook Western food. or Not me. <laughs> Backtrack. I would watch the kids. All our kids were little then. I would take care of the kids while she cooked. But she would just cook some Western food. She said, you know, they've never had Western food. Let's, let's encourage them. Hey, come over. You can try some of this Western food, and we'll have dinner together. And we did that so many times. And people would, we would cook this meal, and she would make pizza from scratch. Everything over there you cooked, Western, was from scratch. It was expensive, and it was really hard to do. So Jenny became a really good cook. We lived there a decade, right? She whip up cat head biscuits from scratch in no time flat, right? But everything was a sacrifice and a big ordeal, and we would make this meal, and we would wait on the Chinese people to come. And sometimes you say, hey, we're going to eat at 6. They may show up at 6.30, 7, 7.38 maybe. So we just sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait. But you know what? A lot of times, they never showed up. Ah. I was just kills you because you want to do great things for the Lord I mean we're doing it and that was our motive our motive wasn't oh we want to cook for them so they'll think we're great cooks or something no we wanted them to come in our homes so we could love them get to know them so we could share the gospel with them you know what a lot of times they wouldn't even show so we'd sit down we'd eat this cold food western food that spent hours preparing and they never showed up <sighs> yeah Sometimes this is not the Lord's will, right? We have these ambitions. We want to do great things for God, but it's not the Lord's will that they happen. No matter how high and lofty our goals and plans may be, God's plans are greater. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. I appreciate these sound team. Missy oversees that, and these folks are, are putting words up. And, and you, you don't ever think about that unless something's is wrong with the sound, right, or something. But I'm so thankful for them. And I know you appreciate that too. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, Oh, the depth and riches of, and wisdom of, and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Yeah, that's Paul's way of putting it. Yeah, the Lord's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't know why we would cook this food and love it on these people and they never show up. We're going to share the gospel. We had our kids. Our kids, they, they knew. Uh, the people that would come over, most of them, they didn't speak English, and so they would, we would just tell our kids, okay, hey, we fix and share the gospel with them. Y'all better take their kids in the back and handcuff them, muffle them, do something, but we don't want you to interrupt us. We're, this is important time. And our kids would do it. They kind of knew the, knew the routine. We've been praying, you know, up to this point. And, and some of them were, were friends of theirs, their parents. And, hey, we're going we're gonna to share the gospel, you know. And, and people would show up. Why is that? I don't know. You know, I think about when we came back from, from being overseas, we, we, we couldn't understand why the Lord didn't want us to be there because we wanted to be there. And we grieved so because we had, we had finally got the language and understood culture and were set up where we could really be used by the Lord. And all of a sudden, we had to be back in the United States. We want to do great things for you, Lord. But that wasn't the Lord's will. We don't know why God, for some of us, doesn't want us to get married. Why He doesn't provide a, a husband or a wife for us. We don't know. We want to do great things for you, Lord. I want to be married and we want to serve together. And da, 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 da. I don't know why that is the case. We desire to share the gospel. We want to be interrupted when we pray, Lord, today give me an opportunity I want to share with this person. Or you have a, a dinner date or a, a lunch or a breakfast appointment in order to share the gospel with this person. And you know what? For whatever reason, you're trying to and you're trying to and you're trying to and you're trying to make it happen and it just doesn't happen. We don't know why the Lord doesn't give us opportunities on those days when we're trying to do great things for the Lord. I don't know. The Lord knows. The Lord, one thing we can know, the Lord is going to fulfill His plans upon the earth. We're not to seek to get the Lord to fulfill our plans, but rather align ourselves with His plans, right? And what He has a mind to do. We see that in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Jesus taught His disciples how to pray, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Yeah, we align ourselves with the Lord. I don't know why you're not giving me opportunities here I'm wanting to share the gospel. I've set up this appointment. We're eating lunch and we're just distracted and da-da-da-da-da. They won't get off their phone. And uh, why, is, why is it that I can't do this? Yeah, I don't know. The Lord knows, right? We align ourselves with the Lord. But the, the key here, I think there was, there was, we have to remember is David desired to do great things for the Lord. But, but God didn't need David. He doesn't need anything. We'll chase a rabbit here for a moment. What about knowing God's will? Well, David, he wanted to build this house, and it was a noble thing to do. And we've already seen in Scripture, Scripture, scripture interprets Scripture. First Kings tells us this was a great thing. The Lord thought it was a great thing, right? He approved of his motive. But sometimes we're trying to do something for the Lord. We don't know the will of God. Now, about moral things, we do know, don't we? We have his, the Scriptures. They're very clear. Most of the things in life, we know. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. This is God's will. Moral things, we know. But then there's providential things that happen, right? Oh, I had a fender bender. Oh, I twisted my ankle. Oh, Luana's got to get her wisdom teeth cut out. 
Those things just happen. We don't have to make decisions about that. No, there's the things that the Lord brings in our life that we just have to deal with. We don't have to make decisions about those things, right? No, you just got to get your car fixed. No, you got to get your teeth taken care of, right? But there are... What about the times when we, we want to do something for the Lord, but we don't know how to go about doing it? We want to know the Lord's will. And sometimes we, I just want the Lord to tell me. Give me a sign. You pray for a sign? Give me a sign. Give me some, a nudging. Give me a direction. You know, we, we put out our fleece, and Lord, help me know what to do. Should I go Tuesday night and share the gospel, or should I wait and go Thursday night? Lord, which the, what's going to be the best night? You know, we want the Lord to tell us. But Augustine, he says this when I ask about determining the Lord's will. He says, love the Lord with all your heart and, do, and then do whatever you want to do. Does that make sense? How do we know the Lord's will? Well, morally, we know it. We, we have His Word. But there's sometimes we're like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I take this job? Should I not? Should I, should I go here? Should I go there? Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us, For it is God who works in us to will and to act according to His good purpose. For it's the Lord who works in us to will. In other words, He changes our want to. So what does the Bible tell us? What we need to do is we draw near to the Lord and we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know what happens? God's will, little by little, becomes our will. His want to becomes our want to. He changes our desires. So you're saying, I can just do whatever I want to do? No. You do whatever the Lord wants you to do. I don't know if I ought to be doing it Tuesday night or Thursday night. Well, draw near the Lord and then pick a day and do it. See, we, we live under, not under the law, but we live under grace, don't we? How do we know the Lord's will? Well, just draw near the Lord. Are you drawing near the Lord every day? Are you reading the Scriptures? Are you drawing near to Him? Are you talking to Him? Are you abiding in Him? There's a book that I, I, I give to millennials. kind of give millennials a hard time. Because they always want to know the, the, the will of God. And the name of the book is Just Do Something. I love it. It's a great. It's great. Kevin DeYoung. It's a great book. Everybody needs to read it. Especially millennials. Um, yeah, just do something. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we know that passage well, don't we? Just lean out on your own understanding, right? What do we do? Trust the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make you pass straight. Yeah, draw near the Lord and, and, and do, seek to do great things for God. God's been gracious to us, so we should seek we should want to do it. We should attempt to do great things for the Lord. But the Lord doesn't need us, just like the Lord didn't need David. He takes care of us, not the other way around. So Nathan told David he had this great idea in building a, a, a temple to house the ark, but God in verses 8-16 through 16 tells David what he's going to do for him. And the third point today is God will build David a house that will last forever. And again, notice the first person pronoun I again over and over and over. In my Bible, I just put a triangle in pencil. I, I write a lot in my Bible when I'm studying and I, I circle things and I put triangles around all the eyes. There's a lot of them there. 
So what's God going to do for David? Verse 9, he's going to cut off his enemies. In other words, he's going to give him victory. Again in verse 9, he's going to make his name great. It sounds like the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? That's what he told Abraham. Let's look at uh, Genesis 12. I think we have it. Genesis 12, 2 and 3, and in verse 7. This is, what, this is the covenant God gave Abraham. This promise to Abraham. He says, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is the Abrahamic covenant. In verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what does the Lord do? He promised them land. He promised them to bless them. Those who are, are for them, I'll be for. And those that are against you, I'll be against. I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the, that's the, the promise he gave to Abraham. I'll make your name great. That's what he told David. Verse 10, he's going to give him land. Again, victory. Verse 11, I'm going to give you rest. And then verses 11 through 16, he talks about this house that he's going to build for David. Now, house is used several times here in, uh, in the Scriptures in chapter 7, but it has three different meanings. One, a house is David's house, right? A palace in verse 1 and 2. Then you have the temple that David wanted to build for, for God. But what God really is talking about here is a dynasty for David. God's going to build David a dynasty. From his seed will come according to the flesh, the Messiah. So instead of David building a, the Lord a material, temporal house, the Lord's going to build for David a spiritual house that's going to live forever. And this is what we call the Davidic covenant. We see that. And we've seen these covenants several times in the Scriptures. Remember? What, what, are, what are they, Sammy? What's the first covenant we see in Scripture? Remember? Noahic covenant. Yeah, there's a Noahic covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. He said, I will never flood the I will never destroy the earth by flood again. And you know what? We're still here, right? It hadn't happened. I mean, sometimes it rains and rains and rains. You think, my goodness, what's the Lord doing? But God has promised he'll never destroy the earth by flood again. He gave a rainbow as a sign to show his his promise is true. And then God, of course, gave this covenant to Abraham, right? I'm going to make your name great and through you all the nations of the world be blessed. Yeah. Jeremiah 31, God gives another covenant. We call it the, the promise of the new covenant. And Remember that? God says, I'm going to do what? Let me back up a step. He said, I'm going to make you, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, when, when the Israelites, Jacob's sons, went to Egypt, there were about 70. 400 years later when they left, they were, during the Exodus, over a million left Egypt. We see God fulfilling His promise, making Israel into a great nation. Then in Jeremiah 31, you see this covenant, this promise God gives Israel. One day, now you live under law, but one day you're going to live by grace. And one day I'm going to, every one of you will know me. And I'm going to give you my spirit that's going to live within you. There's going to be this regeneration. You're going to be born again. We know that. We are experiencing that in the new covenant today. But these are covenants that God has given His people. 
And this is the Davidic covenant, this promise he gives to David. And this promise is that, that you're going you're gonna to have a descendant on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm going to make you great, David. And he did. And he made his son even greater, Solomon. And David couldn't build a temple, and Solomon did, right? But he says, your kingdom's going to last forever. You're going to be a, a dynasty. You think, well, how was this prophecy, how was this promise fulfilled? Well, partially it was fulfilled in Solomon, right? Because Solomon was great, and he, he built the temple. So it's partially fulfilled in Solomon. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. So Solomon built the, the temple for the Lord. It was a wonderful, incredible temple. So in some sense, Solomon fulfilled this covenant. But how can Solomon fulfill this? After all, verse 13 and verse 16 talk about this kingdom that will last forever. Well, Solomon's going to die. Solomon's sons, they came and went. They lived and died, and as their enemies came against them, the kingdom was threatened. You had kings who were not men after God's own heart like David, but they were evil and they were wicked. So the people of Israel began to seek a divine fulfillment. They longed for the son of David who would sit on the throne forever, and they began to look for this fulfillment. And Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, for a child will be born to us, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so in these verses, Isaiah's cry to the people of Judah where God's going to accomplish this covenant. God's going to do it Himself. During the time of the judges, as Israel struggled to obey the Lord, and they're in a cycle of obedience and rebellion, obedience and rebellion, God raised up a, a weak little man named Gideon. And he, because God was with him, he were able to lead the Israelites out of bondage from up under the hand of the Midianites. And after he gave them victory, Judges chapter 8, verse 22 and 23 says, Then the man of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They wanted to be king. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. That's pretty significant. Now Gideon went on to in fact, become like a king figure to him. But he says the Lord will rule over you. And that's true. Because that's what happened. God promised David he'll have a son on the throne forever and ever and ever. Well, who can fulfill that? Who can make that happen but God Himself? So the son of David, who will rule and reign forever, we know, of course, to be Jesus. Think about this. Think about... God's first announcement of the coming Savior is when? Students. Middle school, high school students. Anybody answer that question? When's the first time we see this promise of a... Yeah, Genesis 3.15, that's right. In the, in the curse of the serpent. 
the, the serpent is cursed after the fall of man. And God says, seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. That's the first time we see that. The second time we see that is in Genesis chapter 12 when God promises Abraham to, to bless him. He tells us through that covenant that the Messiah is going to be Jewish, going to be an Israelite. Then in Genesis 49, Jacob is on his deathbed and he's blessing his sons and he tells Judah that he'll, he'll forever have the, the scepter and he'll rule over his brothers. We know that the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And now here, we learn more specifically that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. And in the New Testament, there's so many references to David, at least 59, but we're going to read one, Luke chapter 1, this birth narrative. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33. And the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, who? David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And it is of his kingdom there will be no end. Yeah, this God's going to become a man. He's going to be a descendant of David. God's going to incarnate himself on earth. Be the son of David, the son of God. What do we do with this text? We're going to close it up. We don't have time to get through verse 18. We'll save that for the small groups and continue that next week. But application-wise, what do we do with this? 2 Samuel chapter 7. A couple things for us as we, as we leave because God has been gracious to us, we should attempt great things for Him. What have you attempted to do for the Lord lately? I mean, these past weeks, what have you attempted to do for the Lord? I mean, God's been good to you. God's been good to me. What have we done lately? What have we done have we attempted great things for the Lord? Anything come to mind? He's been so good to us. We should, uh, his, his goodness should motivate us to do great things for Him. You know, we live in this, we live in a very fast-paced culture. I mean, it's, we're about to have Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas will be here before you know and it's another year past. And Think about what have we done for the Lord? We get so caught up in living life, don't we? A lot of times our calendars booked with trip and re retreat and fun and leisure and, th and then work on top of that, right? Do we have time to do the Lord's work? Have you attempted to do great things for Him lately? And, and when we do great things for the Lord, we have to remember, this is application number two, I guess, we have to remember that God doesn't need us. And two, that we can't outgive the Lord. I mean, David, he wanted to build God a 
temple to place the ark in. So what does God say? No, you're not going to do that. But in fact, I'm going to build you a house that will last forever. God's like that. We, we can't outgive God. He tells us in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all, all we ask or, or think, according to the power at work within us. We can't outgive God. We should seek to attempt to do great things for Him, but He's going to do even greater things for us. And, and lastly, God promises Abraham that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. Well, David is the means to that end. I mean, Abraham, through you and the nation of Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so now we see that David is the means to that end. Through David's lineage, through his offspring, God's going to bless the world. And the offspring, as we've seen this morning, is Jesus, who was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago and is reigning and ruling even now. He's reigning and ruling not just over the nation of Israel, of course, now in the New Covenant, He's ruling over the church. The true Israel, right? The new Israel. And he says to Abraham, you're going to be... One of the promises is you're, through you, the, the whole world's going to be blessed. All the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. And I guess this by application is, have you been blessed by the Savior? Through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. We see more specifically in the Davidic covenant that it's going to be this, the blessing is going to come through a descendant of David. We know that's Jesus. Have you been blessed by the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings? And maybe you're here and you're, you're I mean, I've never, am I blessed by Him? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and then every, I have health and wealth and all the good things that I have in life. But have you been born again, has your sin been atoned for? So we, we said last week, you know, God blesses, and He blesses David, and He blesses us. But God's also a judge, isn't He? He's also a God of justice, and we see Him judging Uzzah, and we see Him judging Michael. Well, God is a, a God of justice, and He wants us to yield to Him and obey Him. And when we don't obey Him, because He's just, He has to punish sin and punish sinners. And so what I mean by blessed is, have you, have you been redeemed? Have you been born again? Have you had your sin atoned for? Have you been saved? Are you a Christian? Can you say, my sins are many, but His mercy is more. I've experienced His mercy because my sin has been atoned for. The Messiah came from David, a descendant of David, and he took on flesh and he walked this earth. He obeyed in our place. See, in order to know the Lord and have a relationship with Him, you have to obey perfectly. When you sin, that means you, you can't have this relationship with Him any longer. So because we all sin, we're all cast out of His presence. Just like Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. We're cast out of His presence. We don't have a relationship with Him. But this descendant of David, this Messiah, he was a descendant of David, but he was also the Son of God. And he took on flesh and he obeyed completely, totally, the law of God. And what happens 
is when we acknowledge our sin and we turn from our sin and repent from our sin and we trust Christ's work on the cross, what, what happens miraculously is that we're born again. God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit lives in us and seals us. That's what we say we've been born again. And that Holy Spirit that lives in us is begins to change us. What happens at that moment is we're able to have this relationship because we repent and we, we, we trust Christ's work on the cross. He takes all our guilt and our shame and our sin and then He gives us His righteousness. This divine exchange. It's miraculous. And because of that, we can approach the Lord, the Bible says, boldly, unashamedly. Not because we're good, but because what Christ has done for us. See, he pays our sin debt. The wrath that we deserve has been poured out on Christ. Because of what Christ has done, if we repent and believe, then we can have this relationship with Him. He made new, give a new life. So by way of application, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're like, I really don't understand what you're talking about or exactly how to do that, I would love to talk to you about that. Love to have that conversation with you. If you're a believer, you said, yeah, I've, I've experienced the mercy of God. I've been born again. But lately I haven't. I, haven't, I can't say that I've attempted great things for the Lord. And re repent. Because we should be attempting great things for the Lord all the time. Let's just repent, church. And let's this week seek to please the Lord. Please to give Him glory. Seek to share the gospel and love people like we should. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we, we do want to lift up those who've never experienced your mercy and grace. Those who are on the outside looking in, they don't have a relationship with the Father because they've, they are yet to accept the work of the Son, the descendant of David. I pray that you would do a work in their heart, that your eyes, spiritual eyes and ears would be open. They would understand the Gospel. They would understand how good you've been to them and that would motivate them to yield to you. I pray that you would grant eternal life to those who are lost, whether it be boy, girl, man, or woman. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be people who, because of what You've done for us, we would attempt to do great things for You in a way that pleases You and gives You honor and glory. I pray that we would look for opportunities to love people. We look for opportunities to treat people well. We'd look for opportunities to be a conduit of grace in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhoods. Father, encourage us as we leave. Maybe there's some with heavy hearts who are just struggling with sin, struggling with loneliness, struggling with Your will. And just pray that You'd pour out Your grace upon them. Lord, help us as a church to love them well. We're thankful for all the things that we have planned this week. Lord, may You bless it. Use all our activities and all the meeting times and studies and 
all the activities for the children. Use it for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.